In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a problem in the Protestant Church, and even in many places of our own Anglican Communion, about what to do with Mary. Do we venerate her, or do we pray to her? If we do either, are we committing some form of idolatry, or is it just radical superstition that only those popish people do? Some churches have cast her aside. Others simply tip their cap at her. But we do a grave injustice to the Blessed Virgin Mary and to ourselves if we ignore her role in our history of salvation. The Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church of the United States of America does honor and venerate Mary. Now, I know that we don't use the word venerate all that much, but it simply means to hold in high regard or to be a highly esteemed person, the venerable so-and-so. And Mary indeed is. For example, on March 25th, we will celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation and read once again this story of the angel Gabriel coming to a particular person in a particular town on a particular day. Later in the year, we will share another day with the Universal Church, as we will celebrate the Feast of St. Mary the Virgin, Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, on August 15th. This is a day that three of the major branches of Christianity share in the veneration of Mary. The Roman Church has given the name the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary to the feast, and the Orthodox Church renders the day as the Dormition of Mary, the Mother of God. But why? Why do we hold Mary in this high esteem and with such honor? Let's begin our search for an answer at the beginning, the literal beginning. God created man and woman, those whom we call Adam and Eve. We all know this story. Eve is tempted by the serpent to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she did eat. She also offers some to Adam, and he ate as well. Eve, the mother of all of us, sinned. Adam the father of all of us, sinned. Eve said no to God's will, God's purpose, and even to God's love of creation. Instead, she, like all of us do, believed the tempter, put her trust in someone other than God, and fell short. She missed the mark. She sinned. And her sin, and Adam's sin, is what each of us is stained with. We call it original sin. And like a genetic trace in our spiritual DNA, it is there in all of us. Now, let us jump forward to a little town called Nazareth, about 2,000 years ago. A young girl, probably a teenager, a virgin, 
is going about her day. Nothing is, nothing is expected to happen that is not out of the ordinary. It could be a day very much like ours today. But something did happen. And the entire course of history once again hangs in the balance. A decision will need to be made. Mary, like Eve, is visited. Instead of being visited by the tempter in the form of a serpent, Mary is visited by Gabriel, one of the archangels. She is given a choice to make, just like Eve had been given a choice. But instead of being tempted by fruit from a tree, Gabriel instead tells Mary that God has chosen her to fulfill a task, and the task is daunting. She is to be the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the very mother of God, the one who will make it possible for God to become man, the carrier and protector of the Incarnation. Now, when we are given the opportunity to take on large-scale projects, we count the cost. Among the costs that we count is what will it mean to me personally? What will it cost me socially? What type of time commitment is required? Here is Mary, betrothed but not married, who will become pregnant. A scandal for sure. Remember, in Matthew's Gospel, that Joseph almost secretly calls the wedding off. There is also the ridicule of circumstance. Who would believe that God miraculously impregnated a girl from Nazareth? A tall tale at best. A sign that she is not to be trusted at worst. Be sure to keep your eye out for Mary. I'm sure many of the villagers may have said. And what about the time it takes to raise a child? And not just any child, but the holy child, the son of God. And the moment comes. Gabriel has delivered his message from the Almighty. He must wait for Mary to respond. What will she say? Zoran Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, mused that as Mary was pondering what to say, trying to deliberate in her mind what to answer, weighing the cost to herself, that all of creation, all of space and time and matter, all the stars and the heavens and the earth itself, everything that had been present when Eve took of the fruit, all that had been groaning, crying out, aching for redemption. Everything under our sun whispered to her, Mary, say yes. Say yes, Mary. Please say yes. 
Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And that yes to God began to undo all that had failed in Adam and Eve. The course was set. God was now coming among us. Indeed, his conception was complete. One of Christopher Smart's hymns says it this way, Glorious, most glorious is the crown of him that brought salvation down by meekness, Mary's son. Sears that stupendous truth believed, and now the matchless deeds achieved, determined, dared, and done. There is another ancient tradition which I think also helps to focus our attention to what the significance of this yes means. Around the 15th century, a carol was written that tells this story. A version of this carol is found in our hymnal, as hymn number 266, in case you're interested. One of the lines that is repeated throughout is, Nova, Nova, Ave Fit Ex Eva. Now, that's a little bit of a wordplay, and it is much richer when you read it, but, but here it is in English. News, news, Ave has been made from Eve. Taking the first words of Gabriel's salutation, Hail Mary, or Ave Maria in Latin, we see that Eve, or Eva, is a reversal of each other. Ave has been made from Eva. Mary is our second Eve, and as such, she helps to usher in the new creation. She is part of the plan to set all things right. And she does so by bringing forth her son, Jesus, as the second Adam. St. Paul says it this way, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. One of the most powerful poems of St. John Henry Newman says this, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love, that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail, and that the highest gift of grace should flesh and blood refine God's presence and his very self and essence all divine. Mary's yes is what sets our entire salvation history on its course. And we sometimes read this placidly. We know the story. But there is a secret and dark terror 
that is in the fringes of it. There is a question we almost dare not ask. What if Mary would have said no? Now, when we look at saints, when we look at people whom we venerate, we look at them with an eye cast inward, and we say to ourselves, what can I learn from Saint so-and-so? In Mary, we learn the first of and most important of all of all of our of all of our responses to God's call. We learn to say yes. We learn to say yes to God, no matter the cost. Mary, who would carry the Christ child in her womb. Mary, who would birth him in a stable. Mary, who it was said that a sword of sorrow would pierce her soul. Mary, who lost Jesus in the temple. Mary, who fretted about Jesus' own safety and begged him to come home. Mary, who was at the crucifixion and stood by the cross watching her son die and was entrusted to St. John. Mary, who was there at the Feast of Pentecost. Mary, who became for us the archetype of the church and a symbol of refuge for us. Mary, who we rightly call both the Blessed Virgin and Our Lady. Mary said yes. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. May this be our response whenever we answer God's call to us. Amen.